Cartoon Express, the animated train got off the tracks. Where did all the Saturday morning cartoons go? Okay, Paula Cole. (laughs) You go do the laundry while I go have some sugary breakfast cereal. Yep. Did you know there was a time when your Saturday morning wasn't full of seven and a half hours of the Today Show? Yes, if you were born in the 1970s or most of the 1980s, chances are you remember waking up on Saturday mornings, pouring a cold bowl of that sugary cereal, and watching hours upon hours upon hours of Saturday morning cartoons. Today, we're looking at some Saturday morning cartoon flops. And just what was it that killed Saturday morning cartoons altogether? Welcome to this episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm Eric Griggs. And I'm Mike Jones. Each episode, we take a pop culture topic and trash talk it. But with love, of course. Ooh, and sometimes I am frightened but I'm ready to learn of the power of pop culture love. (laughs) I was wondering where that was going. (laughs) (laughs) It got there eventually though, didn't it? Just like Paula Cole's horse. (laughs) (laughs) We're starting the show by tackling one of the biggest cartoon franchises in history that flopped hard when it launched, but somehow found an out of this world home on Saturday morning. And for our second segment, we're heading back to 1991. Yes, some folks know that year is the year that gave birth to Nirvana, or the year where Terminator 2 Judgment Day changed action movies forever, or the year where I was still under 120 pounds. But for today, 1991 is going to be known as the year that killed Saturday morning cartoons forever. Oh, let's begin. So, Mike, do you have a favorite canceled too soon cartoon from growing up? Ooh, a favorite canceled too soon cartoon. Yes, I have one that comes to mind for me. I remember watching it on the USA Cartoon Express, which we referenced in the intro. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, the USA Cartoon Express was like an hours long block of cartoons that aired on the USA Network kind of around the time it launched. And the show that I remember and I'm curious if you know it, Mm -hmm. is The Biscuits. Do you remember The Biscuits? No, I do not. Ooh. Oh, is it those Biscoffs? I love them. Nope, (laughs) nope, nope, it's not. Hidden deep in a swamp lies tiny Biscuit Castle. Home of the smallest dogs in the world, the Biscuits. And they were committed to guarding the crown jewels of Biscuit Castle. <laughs> I know, it sounds ridiculous. Sounds it amazing. worked for 13 episodes and then it was yanked from CBS's schedule. Mm. But it was replaced with a show I know you know, and I think you're probably going to talk about, Shirt Tales. Oh, I love shirt tails. I don't know why. I, I don't really remember much about it. It was just a bunch of different animals and different shirts. But it, it captivated me, much like the snorks, too. It was like shirt tails underwater, Cubert basically underwater. But my favorite canceled too soon cartoons, I, I have two of them. And the first one is Thundar the Barbarian. Do you remember mm. that one? Mm-hmm. The year 1994. From out of space comes a runaway planet hurtling between the Earth and the moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. He was kind of like a 
He-Man knockoff, but I think He-Man might have even come just after him. And it's got some real chops. Comic book legend Jack Kirby designed the characters. I think Steve Gerber wrote some of the plots. So if you know those names from comic books, you'd really be interested in Thundar. My second favorite one is called Goldie Gold and Action Jack. I think the adventures of Goldie Golden Action Jack. And she's just this like rich bitch who owns a newspaper called the Gold Street Journal. (laughs) And (laughs) she flew this amazing jet. In the first episode, though, I just rewatched it before we had this talk. She's solving the crime and they go into this alleyway as they're chasing the criminal and they run into, get this, a character called Hobo Joe. (laughs) Rats. They gave us the slip again. They couldn't have gotten far. Goldie, honey, is that you? Hobo Joe, what are you doing here? I moved to this alley a couple of months ago. And and the concept is like this uber rich girl. It's like, girl, you could give her some of your millions and he wouldn't be Hobo Joe anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But why would somebody rich do that? Come on. Exactly. So they kept it real, basically. So I don't know that cartoon. I do remember Thundar the Barbarian. And you're right. It's funny to hear you compare it to He-Man because Mm. I also would gravitate more toward He-Man first over Thunder the Barbarian. And it kind of reminds me of the dynamic between Heathcliff and Garfield. Oh, yeah. Right. Garfield was kind of a superstar, like, you know, Mm -hmm. household name. And Heathcliff was fine and had like his own show, but Mm -hmm. not anywhere near the profile that Garfield got. So I'd kind of say like Heathcliff is the cat version of Thundar the Barbarian Mm -hmm. and Garfield Mm -hmm. is the cat version of He-Man. That's a good comparison. I actually Heathcliff is streaming on Paramount Plus and I actually pulled up an episode. It's borderline unwatchable. I, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I loved as it as a kid too. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm gonna watch a couple of these. And I was like, nope, I, I one is good enough. And it's terrible. And it's got like Mel Blanc is the Heathcliff voice. Like there's some fun things behind it, but it's like the animation is rough, the the stories are non-existent. The, the only yeah, thing that's, that's good funny. is the theme song. The theme song is so much fun, but then you just turn it off after that because it's it's a true story in the third grade i hosted during recess a watch contest where the class got to vote uh whether heathcliff or garfield was funnier (laughs) and there were 27 people in the class 26 people voted for Garfield and one person voted for Heathcliff. Was that you? Was that you? It was. I felt bad for Heathcliff. As you put your Heathcliff trapper keeper under your chair. Please don't bully me. I love Garfield too. Okay, we promised to talk about a cartoon flop from the past that was resurrected and vindicated on Saturday morning cartoons. What cartoon of the 60s? Uh, Gunsmoke the cartoon? No, I'm kidding. Uh, Droopy? Good guess. Do you remember Uh, Droopy? I do. He's Tex Avery. You know what? I'm jolly. Hooray. I've grown into Droopy, but he seemed to always (laughs) win. (laughs) He would always That's true. Always sad, but somehow a winner. Goals. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, no, it's not droopy. Um, I am talking about, drum roll, please, the Jetsons. 
What? The Jetsons? Yes, the Jetsons. It only had, I think, about 24 episodes in its first season. It came on the heels of the very successful The Flintstones, one of the first, if not the first cartoon in primetime. And so if that was the Stone Age family, we got the futuristic Space Age family. But it just wasn't a hit. But do you remember much about the Jetsons? Yeah, like I watched the Jetsons a ton. So the, the theme song, right? Like me, George Jetson, his mm-hmm. boy Elroy, blah, 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 blah. But like, I did not know that it was a flop. I literally thought the Jetsons and the Flintstones were sort of the pioneers of cartoons. I mean, maybe, you mm-hmm. know, separate from Disney, but the pioneers of like television cartoons. Yeah. I just assumed it was this like blockbuster success that ushered in an era of latter 20th century cartoons. You're telling me it actually flopped? Yeah, believe it or not. And I think it is such a mind bender. People really don't believe it because the Jetsons is such a touchstone of our culture and the reference to thinking about what the future looks like. And now it's kind of funny to think about that because it's our nostalgia for remembering the feeling of predicting what the future might look like, even though, you know, it's a cartoon, it's a comedy and all that, but we use it as reference. You know, we talk about, oh, in the future, why aren't flying cars here? All of those things. We just say the Jetsons to to kind of mean the future, which is fascinating that when you say it only got one season, it was shuffled from ABC to NBC to CBS and then Saturday morning. And that's where it got picked up. And you say to people, wait a minute, it only had one season. I remember watching that all the time. Did I just watch yes. those cartoons over and over and over the same cartoons? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Until 1985, <laughs> when they brought it back for about two more seasons and they wanted to get a couple more episodes in the can for syndication. What year did the Jetsons take place in? I believe it was 2062 is what most people say. I don't know if it was shown anywhere like on a newspaper or whatever, but they do say it was in the 21st century. And since the cartoon premiered in 1962, most people, I think, assume it was 2062. So at least we haven't lived through the year in which the Jetsons have taken place. So our hopes of, you know, robots named Rosie and, Mm -hmm. you know, cars that fly and everyone living in space needles... We still got time to get there. We're catching up to it, though, because it's fascinating how much of the Jetsons actually has appeared. You know, FaceTime, video conference calls, all of the technology in the Jetsons, like moving walkways, um, a wristwatch, like an Apple watch. You know, all of those things were kind of in development. The Jetsons didn't invent it. They just kind of presented these things that were happening in science and being developed in technology. Well, cogs well that ends well. (laughs) Cogswell's a character in the Jetsons. You know that? Good job. Good job. Yes. Well. A writer for the Smithsonian Magazine, uh, Matt Novak, put forth this theory that about 10 years ago in 2012, when he was writing about the Jetsons. So in 1962, the Jetsons was the first TV show that ABC broadcast in color which would make sense because you look at the cartoon now, it's very colorful. But at the time, only about 3% of American households had a color TV. And that didn't change for a decade, like uh, up until about 1972, only 50% of Americans had a color TV. I remember having a black and white TV in our kind of downstairs den and we had a color TV in the living room. But at the time, people were not watching the Jetsons in color. Even if it was being broadcast in color, 
you didn't have a color TV. And the TV show that was playing opposite the Jetsons on NBC was Walt Disney's World of Color. So if you did have a color TV, you were probably watching that show. Well, it's in the title. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, in his article, he kind of has screenshots of the color Jetsons and like a black and white of the same screenshot. And you really look at it and you're like, this would look much more boring in black and white. It doesn't have that kind of futuristic pop. So that might have been the downfall for the Jetsons that people were watching a different show at a different time. As you mentioned with the movies, that sometimes it's not the show itself. It's kind of what it's up against. And this other strange factor of technology uh, brought it down. Wait, so you're saying that the Flintstones, which also was at the same basically the same years as the Jetsons didn't suffer from that. No, it did not. The Jetsons did. I wonder if it's just like the color is the future, black and white is the past. So it is an interesting question that you pose that it didn't suffer for the Flintstones. It also might be that the people knew what the Flintstones was. The Flintstones was kind of like a a honeymooners um, type of show and they love that and so here's an animated version that the whole family can watch the kids are like oh it's animated and the parents are like basically watching the show they wanted to watch so i think the jetsons maybe just didn't have that sense of continuity or something analogous to it all right that makes sense i get that i don't know i just find i like because the flintstones to me are just such a bedrock (laughs) <laughs> of cartoon history should have seen that and one, I, are you, <laughs> but yeah i guess that would make sense because the jetsons are all about looking at the colors of the space cars the colors of the the houses right like all the automated things that are in those houses and what the, the yeah. what the colors of them are the colors of the characters what they're wearing um i mean even now like i can picture jane jetson's purple dress you know and it's how vivid that was Mm -hmm. like and seeing that in black and white you're right you wouldn't actually take away any of that stuff which is really interesting i can't even imagine watching it not being able to see mr spacely's red cheeks as he goes (laughs) exactly all right well pour yourself a second bowl of that sugary cereal because we're about to head back to the final years of Saturday morning cartoons. Eric, before we begin, what was the one sugary cereal you craved as a kid? I would say Cookie Crisp and 1980s Cookie Crisp before they became those like dry, weird wafers. They were like literally cookies. They were like, if you took a a bowl of tiny chips Ahoy and poured it into a bowl, they had that texture. They were actual cookies. And for some reason, every once in a while, my mom would be like, sure, yeah, you can eat a bowl of cookies for breakfast. <laughs> now, it's shre- now it's shredded wheat and crackling oat bran. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those Quaker oat brown cinnamon squares that like, are like eating logs. <laughs> I remember Cookie Crisp only for, didn't it have like a, a character, a mascot that was like a burglar that tried to steal the cookies? There was like a a little cop and a little burglar that was trying to get the cookies and he was sent to like cookie jail. Cookie jail. All right. Well, if I had to pick one, you know, it's Lucky Charms. The one I I absolutely hated was, and funny enough, since we just talked about the, the Jetsons and it's related to the Flintstones, 
oh. fruity pebbles and cocoa pebbles. Oh, I hated yeah. them. They got yeah. so soggy. It was like eating a bowl of pop rocks with milk. I think we had corn pops in our house a lot because my mom kind of thought they were pseudo healthy, yeah, even though like, they weren't. These are yeah. healthy. They're yellow rice, you know, totally doused <laughs> in icing or like. <laughs> I also loved alphabets. They tasted so good. And again, my mom was probably like, well, he's reading and thought it was healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, like I, I, you know, I make jokes about what my mom would or wouldn't allow. She would buy anything. I feel like that's not a thing today. There wasn't a, a real concern about, oh, your kid shouldn't be eating that. Yeah, sure. Somebody said that but parents did not care in the 80s no i generally think that's right too and now it's basically like if you walk into any store it's it's sure there's some sugary cereals but generally speaking it's mostly just like 27 varieties of cheerios Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we just pretend it's healthy none of them are healthy (laughs) it's like we're all just like oh we're not like in the 80s when we would let our kids eat sugar in a bowl and it's like oh we still do do you remember the frog who like was the mascot for sugar snacks yeah dig them was it it sugar snacks or honey smacks i don't know (gasps) Uh we can talk cereal all day i'm so hungry right now for cereal right it was honey smacks i thought it was sugar smacks i thought it was sugar smacks too i think at some point it was sugar smacks wasn't it or sugaroos it was you're right look This is yeah. a future episode. The yeah. evolution of sugar smacks to honey <laughs> Cause, smacks. Because they probably had to take the name sugar out because people were going crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <gasps> something tells me there's sugar in this cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what a segue. (laughs) I don't even know how you you take that and go here, but we're doing it. We are going back to 1991 and we're going to look at one network's cartoon schedule, specifically the NBC Saturday morning fall 1991 lineup. So, all right, I'm going to read you these shows. This was NBC's 1991 uh, Saturday morning cartoon lineup. Uh, and I want to see if you know any of these shows. Uh-huh. So I'm going to read them and okay. say yes or no. Yes. Okay. Chip and Pepper's Cartoon Madness. <laughs> no. What is that? All right. Space Cats. I do know this one only because of you. All right. Here's another one. Yo Yogi. Yes, if it's the bear. No, if it's the Mario Brothers thing. It's not the Mario Brothers thing, but we'll get there because the next okay. one is Captain N and the new Super Mario. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that. How about Pro Stars? What the fuck is that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the last one, Wish Kid. Okay, Wish um, Kid. No. So it, um, is it like, was there a star? <laughs> was there like, there is a star wish upon a star? To it. Yes. Okay. All right, so this lineup, or some variation depending on you know what time of year and where you live, was the swan song for NBC's Saturday morning cartoons. Seriously, for a network that once gave us blockbusters like the Smurfs or Alvin and the Chipmunks, mm. 1991's lineup marked the final countdown basically for NBC's animated Saturday morning lineup. It is crazy. So like, we'll get to what went wrong in a second, but quickly, here's the plot synopsis for these cartoons, which I'm kind of saying, you know, we're on the NBC Saturday morning Titanic. What did you see? Iceberg, dead ahead, sir. Iceberg, dead ahead, sir. So here we go. Chip and Pepper's Cartoon Madness. Not a cartoon, but a cartoon variety show where Chip and Pepper Foster were two Canadian brothers, identical twins. And I'm not kidding. They look like the Nelson brothers. Uh, And they had this variety show in Canada 
And like one of the brothers, I think it's Chip, even like sold T-shirts out of the back of his Jeep. And somehow like a video of him doing this cartoon variety show ends up on Brandon Tartikoff's desk. And Brandon Tartikoff is like, oh, these guys seem cool. Let's give them a trial run on Saturday morning so that their brand of wacky humor like could at least, you know, try to land with American audiences. <laughs> and so they had all these like weird sketches, part interviews, and then they would sandwich in vintage cartoons like Casper and Captain Caveman. Uh, then we've got Space Cats. And yes, you alluded to this. I've written about Space Cats for the Pop Trash Museum. You have to picture like the biggest acid trip in the world. And even that I don't think could conjure up the plot of this show, which is Charles Nelson Riley as a floating green head named Dork, the disembodied omnipotent ruler of cats who helped guide a bunch of alien crime fighting felines in the pursuit of truth, justice, and a better quality cat food without the fishy aftertaste. It reminds me of, do you remember the cartoon, The Critic from the 1990s? Yes, with John I do. John Lovitz. I love that. It was a primetime show, not a Saturday mm -hmm. morning show, but Space Cats has like elements of The Critic in it where it's basically mm. this cynical, just snarky line pumped into the script almost every other second. Um, but for kids, diligent, alert, and hardworking, the space cats are always on the job, except for Tuesdays and certain bank holidays. And that line is literally like from the <laughs> opening credits. Yeah. And it's just like that over and over again for only 13 episodes. It's just a great animated tragedy to me that this just didn't make it beyond that. I think mm. this type of cartoon, I think could have um, been as successful as like a Futurama. But mm. I think because it was in this like cursed 1991 Saturday morning lineup, it just fizzled. You also, I know, love Paul Fusco, who is mm -hmm. the creator of ALF. He is yes. also the creator of Space Cats. So like, what's your take on his pivot from aliens who eat cats to cats who are aliens? He knows his brand. He's going to stick to it. So I respect that. <laughs> All right, if crime-fighting alien space cats don't do it for you, what about imagining your most beloved cartoon characters in history, but as crime-fighting teenagers? So I'm listening, like your, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was going to say, if that sounds like your cup of orange Julius, then <laughs> there's no doubt you would have loved the 13 episodes of Yo Yogi. So this is a Hanna-Barbera explosion, basically. You've got Yogi, Boo Boo, Snagglepuss, Huckleberry Hound and even Yogi's girlfriend, Cindy Bear, all acting as teenagers who fight crime at a mall known as the Jellystone Mall. Hey, boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not all. You even get like deep cut Hanna-Barbera gems in this that show up. Like Quick Draw McGraw shows up, Baba Louie, McGilla Gorilla, Granny Sweet, hmm. Loopy De Loop, Lippy wow. the Lion, Peter Potamus. I don't even know <laughs> half of those, but Peter they all Potamus. sound super catchy. I was big big, big, big into Laugh Olympics, which, you know, speaking of a cartoon that is taking all of the Hanna-Barbera characters and putting them in a big lump and making them do something that was very much in the same vein that it was like, they all had different teams, the Scooby Doobies, the really rottens, the, what was the third one? The, that wasn't it, the really Yogi, ones? the Yogi Yahooies. And they lost and went on to fight crime at a mall. So that serves. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hanna-Barbera just was the gift that kept giving. They just were like, short one or two season cartoons and they're like here's this weird dumb character that was zany and nutty and here we're on to the next and they're all kind of similar but they're kind of not and that was just i think the beauty of hanna barbera the fun gosh of i do remember 
laugh Olympics. That should have been my answer to what's a cartoon that didn't last as long as it should have. That, that cartoon should still be on the air. I'd watch I mean, it, it was, single week. It was so fun. It was in that era of, you know, battle of the network stars or those competition <laughs> shows. Well, I'm glad that Hanna-Barbera at least had one more jaunt around the Saturday morning cartoon landscape. Alas, Yo-Yogi didn't really cut it. But from Yo-Yogi or Yogi Bear and his teenage friends, you head over to the world of video games because the other cartoon or another cartoon that was part of this lineup was Captain N and the new Super Mario World. It kind of is a gateway into what I think is like a generation of cartoons that are much less about storytelling and more about capitalizing on properties that already exist. So if you can guess what Captain N stands for. I would want it to be the Captain and to Neil cartoon <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's captain nintendo uh, oh. and so you yeah see so you get all these cartoons wrapped up in the nintendo universe and i would say nintendo was the biggest name in video games in the early 90s and so yes they created captain n they tacked on what was essentially the third or the fourth version of an animated mario brothers series the new super mario world and so you basically have this like just late 80s 90s like old country buffet style like show of video game properties you have so many video games that are name checked in in captain n you get burger time castlevania donkey kong kid icarus marble madness like paperboy and zelda there's even mike tyson's punch out like has a role in the show i have no um, idea all those words you just said <laughs> yeah exactly it's over game over you did you really not have like a nintendo uh, no, the neighbors did. We had an Atari and we had a ColecoVision, if you remember. A ColecoVision. All right, we've got two left. The last of the Saturday morning cartoons, um, Pro Stars is another one. This cartoon was about three early 90s sports megastars reimagined as cartoon characters who do what? Yes, they fight crime. We're talking about Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky, all brought together to help little kids from around the world fight things like coastal pollution and strip mining. <laughs> I love that they just decided to take like three big sports stars and slap them into a cartoon. They're not even voiced by the real sports stars. Really? It's like, no, it's like Michael Jordan's image and Bo Jackson's image and Wayne Gretzky's image, but voiced by people totally separate from them. I guess they I didn't know Bo. To get him in. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's, uh, we're almost done. Are the we? last one. We <laughs> wouldn't be complete without a cartoon voiced by one of the biggest child movie stars in history, Macaulay Culkin. And that brings us to Wish Kid. So in 90, 1991, he was the voice of Nick McClary or the Wish Kid, a boy with a magical baseball glove that was possessed by the power of a shooting star. And once a week on Saturday mornings, this baseball glove would give Nick, again, voiced by Sigourney Weaver's Ellen Ripley, no, I mean Macaulay Culkin, three <laughs> wishes, um, which sounds like a good deal. But for some reason, these wishes always ended up creating tons of drama for Nick mm. and his friends. Basically, the monkey's paw in a cartoon is what we're saying. Exactly. Exactly. What you wish for. Okay. Unleashing so demons or ghosts or whatever. I don't know. It, it but was basically, teaching like, kids, don't wish. Don't wish. Exactly. Don't dream. That was the swan song and it flopped by winter of 1991. NBC was like, oh God, none of these shows are actually performing. <laughs> and so they made a big decision to replace their entire cartoon lineup 
with the Today Show that still exists today. So if mm. you're up at Saturday morning at like 8 a.m. and you turn on NBC, you're getting like hour four of the Today Show or whatever. It basically mm. is the Today Show. And then some programs in the late 90s that were geared toward teens, which everybody knows, like Saved by the Bell mm. or mm-hmm. Time. Um, but that was it. Nine, like fall, winter, spring of 1991, or well, 91, 92, mm-hmm. the last of the, the Saturday morning cartoons for NBC. And why I say that was kind of like the precursor to the end of Saturday morning cartoons is because other networks started to watch what NBC was doing. Mm. And at first they were all kind of like snarky, basically like you had, there's this great article covering this in the LA times where the head of children's programming for CBS basically is like, well, NBC could do whatever they want. Like, you know, we prioritize kids over here. Mm. And sure enough, though, after watching what happened to NBC's Saturday morning lineup and how profitable it was to have the Today Show and shows like Saved by the Bell, all the other networks start to follow suit. And Mm. then you get like this dripping away of Saturday morning cartoons, such that basically by the end of the millennium, every network has you know news programs on or educational programs on mm. that are like you know here's interesting things about animals mm-hmm. uh, or stuff like that and not cartoons and then the other thing you had happen also you had nickelodeon the disney channel all these cable channels start to like load their schedules with saturday morning cartoons as well so uh, like kids got to go to other different places and so that saturday morning cartoon time just became so spread out and disparate that mm. it kind of like ended the block of what I guess would be like the late 60s, the 70s, the 80s, mm-hmm. where like the networks were known for kids programming on Saturday mornings and cartoons specifically. Uh, and 1991, I think, is just the the, the nail in the coffin of Saturday mm-hmm. morning cartoons. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I remember there was a time when I would come home from school and watch cartoons like from a four to six block before dinner. You know, and now, were you a were you a latchkey kid at this? Time? I was a latchkey kid, as most '80s mm. kids were. We had to fend for our own after-school snack, come home to an empty house, cry into our sugar smacks, <laughs> no. eat twelve bowls of cookie crisp before your Basically, mom got home. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, I remember things like and Disney was really making inroads. There was like Ducktales, you know, Chippendale, whatever, Woo-hoo. Darkwing Duck, all of those things that were like that kind of syndicated cartoon took over because it could be aired at any time. And and yep. the Jetsons was one of the, I think that's how I watched it. I remember when I was very young, it was Saturday morning cartoons. As I got to be a bit older and I still loved animation and cartoons, it was after school stuff. But do you think there's something lost about the Saturday morning cartoon block being gone? I mean, I don't have kids and never want them, but I imagine <laughs> not not having that is it's kind of like a fun little ritual that kids experienced. It was a time that parents could just let their kids alone for what, a whole morning. Right. Thank God for Saturday morning cartoons is what I'm sure a lot of parents on their weekends felt. What do they do now? God, have to talk to their kids? <laughs> no, they just have iPads that run basically 24 right. hours a day. Yeah, yeah, Saturday cartoons probably couldn't survive on the long run because content was just exploding everywhere. And you could find the cartoons or put in a VHS of the same cartoon that your kid loves and is going to watch 50 times. It didn't matter whether it was new or not or different, you know? Yeah, maybe it's just personal nostalgia. But mm-hmm. I really loved being a 10 year old or an eight year old Mm -hmm. who woke up 
and at 7.30 or 8 in the morning could just like sit dangerously close to the television, (laughs) you know, that I had to walk up to and turn on because it was a (laughs) console and just like watch on three channels only, you know, five, six hours of cartoons. Saturday morning cartoons were a thing since the 60s. It was like 60s to if we're saying the 90s was the death knell. That's several decades of like an institution of generations of kids watching cartoons on Saturday morning. Yeah, totally. I do think it's like early 90s, basically. Like I really think by 93, 94, you don't have very many Saturday morning cartoons anymore. I think that's that's our journey through Saturday morning cartoons. So thanks for listening and may all of your smacks be sugared and not honeyed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god.